All right. Well, good morning, everyone. We, I want to invite you, if you have your Bible, to turn into Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Um, I see a lot of familiar faces. I, I believe that, um, that most of you were here last week, uh, so, so I'm going to kind of spare a lot of the, uh, the, the introductions and, and just w- what we're doing. I mean, we, we've been in this uh, series now called Cast the First Stone. This is actually our fourth message uh, in this series, and this is going to be part two of these issues of sexuality. Um, if you weren't here last week or if you're listening to this on Facebook, um, I want to encourage you to, to listen to last week's message. It is on, on the website. It is on the podcast. Uh, this has all been sparked by some decisions that you know, we're wrestling with as a church. And um, we, we realized that if we're going to make this sin, this, the, this sin an, an issue, then we need to take a look at what it me- how we do that. Because if we just left it, which is what many dying churches all across America are doing, is simply saying that's a sin and that's the end of it. And, and polarizing people and separating themselves and not understanding grace, not understanding responsibility, and not understanding love, then we still drop the ball and what it means to be the church and deal with sin in our own life and love others who are going through some challenging things. So it all goes back to this text in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Where, where, where many people were ready to, to stone the woman who was caught in adultery, and Jesus asked them the question, who he who is, or tells them, he who is without sin casts the first stone. And so we all recognize that we find ourselves in this story with maybe with a stone in our hand, but realizing that there's other things in our life that we need to be dealing with as well. And so... If we, we never want to approach this issue as simply one who is pointing the finger, saying they, they are wrong. There's some truth in this, according to the, the authority of Scripture, but we've always got to find this way back to ourselves. So what does this mean for me? And what is the work the Lord is asking me to do in my life? So there's, there's, when we, we have to deal with things like this, it demands our responsibility. It demands our devotion to the God who has called us. So these are, these are tough things to work through. We, we got into, we've been doing a lot of Bible school in the last three weeks, and I gave you some handouts last week, a lot of scripture today. Um, you got a handout that you can follow along with. We're going to jump into Romans 1 um, because we didn't get to get to that last week, and hopefully we're able to, to get through our study today. And if not, we can certainly pick it up again next week. But Again, I always appreciate your feedback, and, and especially uh, I've been asking some of you about, as we go into our board meeting, about considerations of, you know, which direction our church can go in. And so I do value your feedback, and those of you especially that aren't going to be at that board meeting because you're, you know, not a board member, would love to, to hear from you. So um, those are things that we got coming up, and appreciate your feedback. But let's, let's begin with a word of prayer as we jump in and wrestle with these things again. Well, Lord... Thank you for your word. And Lord, your word is authoritative. Today we are placing your word at the highest authority, but we also know that as we do that, it requires us to respond to it. 
to respond to it in our actions, to respond to it personally, but to be people that distribute grace and do all of this with an attitude of love. Now, Lord, in this place, may you speak to our hearts. May you remind us that you are near. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we got to Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. It's going to be a lot of scripture that I'm going to read. And I asked you last week if you could see, if you could fill in the blanks without, um, without me giving them to you. So I'm going to ask you that in a second. I'll give you one more chance after we read through this text again. If you can see what is going on. Now this is relevant to this issue of sexuality. This is where Paul delves in a little bit deeper of, about how this is happening and why this is happening. And so, the, so we want to have open, open ears and open hearts as we read through this text in Romans, okay? It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Another real encouraging verse to open up Sunday with, right? Since what, what may be known about God is plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So the people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Now listen, here's what it says. You should be able to fill in some of your blanks. Verse 24, therefore... God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts and to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the, the creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust for even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what they ought not, so that what they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips. They are slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And all they know God's righteous to, to decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So I'm not, I, of course, I don't have uh, the time to delve in and preach all of that. I think that the, the, the word of the Lord speaks for itself regarding the, these matters. Paul is pretty clear on what he perceives is happening 
when it comes to these matters of sexuality and why these things are happening. And not, without nodding your heads or raising your hands, I think, could we agree that we still see this happening in our culture, in our country today? Of course we do. And so let's pay attention in this, these, in this handout. It says, what is happening to the truth? This is the question I ask you. What's going on with the truth in here? Anybody know there's two words that I put? Anybody have a shot at one of them? Anybody want to take a shot at what's going on to the truth? It's right there in Romans 1, 18 through 32. Yeah? Exchange. That's one of the words. Father Don nailed it. They are exchanging it. That's the second word in your handout. It's being exchanged for another alternative. <laughs> Another way of looking at things, a new way, a way that works better today with our culture. You guys heard this before? What else? Anything else that's going on with the truth in here? So the other thing I put in there is suppressed. It's being suppressed. The truth is being suppressed and exchanged. It's being suppressed Let's don't say that anymore because it's really offensive. You know, let's don't, let's don't say what the Bible says about sexuality because this is, guys, this is going to offend a lot of people. It's just, let's just keep that down there. Let's save that for maybe church or when you're in the right conversation with the right people. Let's don't say that out loud anymore. The truth is being suppressed and exchanged uh, for something new. Just hope you all see this. You see this in Scripture because what Paul is saying is 100% accurate. This is what has happened. The truth is being suppressed and exchanged. And then Paul says, what does Paul say that God is doing? I put three words. What's God doing in the middle of this? When God sees all this happening, what is he doing? What's his response to mankind when they make these choices? Am I see that in the text? Yes, he's letting it happen. The words I put in there for the blank are giving them over. He's allowing them to have what they want. And let's be clear what Paul is saying here, which is not him. He's letting them have what they want, which is not God. And when we begin to make choices uh, that, where we choose things or what we want that have nothing to do and are actually in opposition to the will of God, well, for lack of a better word, bad things begin to happen and depravity begins to happen. And this is what we see taking place in this text. And so in this text, there is a tension. There is a tension here between contentment and gratitude versus unbridled passion and entitlement. This is what is happening in this text is what Paul is referring to is we can have an attitude of of being grateful for what we have been given and, be, and having an, an attitude of um, contentment with what we have and realizing you know, what our boundaries are, what it means to be a worshiper today, what it means to, to deal with sin in our life where we can say, or we can reject all of that truth and, and continue to go down the path of entitlement and say, hey, I feel this way and it feels good to experience it this way. Why can't I have what I want? Church, I need you in this moment to put a stamp on what I want because this is the way I feel now. And I just need you love me, right? I just need someone to tell me that it's going to be okay, that I'm permitted to do this now. And so, see, now you're getting to what is my biggest issue with 
what we're seeing happening with sexuality because it's right here in Romans 1. You see what's transpired in our culture today. I'm going to be giving you some statistics for pornography and and I, I'm only going to talk a little bit about pornography, but we could go more and more into all the different things is the way that, that the way we've continued to promote sex, we've continued to promote sexuality. But what's worse, that, that, that kind of stuff has always been in culture. There's always been, you know, uh, different, different forms of prostitution and different things in every culture since the history of the world. But what may be even more different now is our access to, to not maybe participating in those things, but the access to look at it. So, so it is so accessible now, so accessible. And when you begin to feed those things, there's this desire for more and for more and for more. And so with all of what, how our culture has transpired and all of the access to all of these things that are going on sexually, isn't there a natural assumption that people would continue to become more entitled sexually with all that is taking place in our culture today? Isn't there a natural assumption that people in culture, I'm not talking about Christians, that people would naturally become more entitled sexually? Of course, that's exactly what is happening. And what is so frustrating to me of what we see happening in some churches and some denominations, and you could certainly make the case that this is happening in ours, is that now we're finding a way to put a stamp on sexual entitlement. We're now finding a way to say this is now okay because you feel this way and because you've come to this point that you want to pursue these things and you want the church now to give you permission and tell you it's okay. Now hear me. If I would really tell you how I feel on some of these issues, you'd probably see that I fall more into the category of a moderate. And I'm saying that because I'm interested in a real person. I'm not just interested in a template. If somebody's wrestling with issues of homosexuality, I want to meet them. I want to understand their past. I want to know their story. I want to understand what's brought them to this point in their life. And so I have had many of those conversations. I've had many of those experiences. And I wish I could tell you something different. Well, I'm glad I can't tell you something different. But unfortunately, in all of those cases, and this is just Brody's experience, because some of you in this room may certainly have different experiences, and if you do, I'd love to hear from you. But in all of my cases, and all of my encounters, sexual entitlement is what I witnessed. I need you to put a stamp on this, because this is what I'm doing now. I need you to be okay with this, because this is what's happening in my life. And this is what continues to happen, a pattern that continues to happen in churches and in denominations. And this is the frustration. There's no middle ground here for discipleship, no middle ground to say, hey, why don't we understand why people are starting to make these decisions? Why don't we understand where these things come from? But rather, instead, we're just putting a stamp that says everyone can now come in. Whatever sexual thing you think you're entitled to, we will approve of it. It's a very slippery slope. It's exactly what we see taking place in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. So it's awfully quiet in here this morning. So, so either this is hitting home, this is scaring you, this is a dark reality. So we're going to see exactly now what this means for us. We're going to talk about responsibility now. And first of all, responsibility is the biblical authority. And go ahead and pull 1 Corinthians 
uh, 6, 18 through 20 up there, Nick. The Bible says, flee from sexual morality. For all the sin a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The responsibility that you have in Matthew 5, 27 through 28. <coughs> it says, you have heard that it was said. You shall not commit adultery, but Jesus said, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We must uphold the authority of Scripture. There's your blank. We must uphold the authority of Scripture in our church and in our personal lives. A couple of, uh, so here's what this looks like. Now we got to get down to some of the nitty gritty and what does this now look like? What does responsibility with biblical authority look like in the church? It's not just responsibility. What does grace look like? What does love look like as well? And so there's something that we put together. It's still pretty young. It's only a couple years old. It was the last time we did our bylaw review. We put uh, something in our constitution called a leadership, uh, leadership agreement for those that that were placed into roles of leadership and something we would ask them to agree to. Now, we're still actually working on this bylaw committee of defining what those roles are that we deem as leaders. Now, but this, this leadership role has some specific language here. And here's, this is the language directly out of, a, of an appendix in our church constitution. It says that leaders at WACOB agree to abstain from participating in acts such as drunkenness, Sexual relationships outside of the context of marriage, violence, felonialist crimes, or consistent slanderous remarks. To recognize when, and then they're also responsible to recognize that when any of our actions may disqualify us from leadership, and we should consult and or confess to the pastor, a deacon, or a ministry leader. Now, that's really just about all the language we have that kind of upholds certain things and certain behaviors in um, Scripture. And I think it's good that we're talking about these things because I noticed even as we were preparing for this message, we don't really have anything that says anything about homosexuality. What if two people were married, you know, according to our own documents? What if two same-sex people were married? According to our own documents, we don't really have anything that says anything against that. Um, might be something that we, we could discuss. But there's certainly other things that we could have put on this list for the, whatever reason at this time we've chose not to. And we're, we're open if you're, if you're even looking at this, if you feel like there's some obvious things that maybe are missing, but things that you actually could have some evidence of. Now, a requirement is that if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're in a leadership role and some of these things are happening, it's not that you automatically are terminated, but it but obviously, like, is there, a re, is there a repentant attitude? Is there a sense of what I did or what I, you know, what I did is wrong and I'm ready to stop and I'm ready to change? See, that's where grace comes in. <laughs> that's where we recognize the power of change, the power of turning away. But we're allowing for grace, but we're also upholding the authority of Scripture at the same time. And this is a basic example that it applies to our church of how we can uphold the authority of Scripture 
and have some obvious standards for everyone else that is here. Now, as I told you, when we get into responsibility, we got to talk about biblical authority. Um, we got to talk about ecclesiastical uh, res- responsibility and personal responsibility. Ecclesiastical responsibility is just a big word um, for our responsibility as the church. And so I showed you how we exercise biblical authority. Now I want to talk a little bit about ecclesiastical responsibility. I want to share a few things with you that might blow your mind a little bit. But I want to read, um, I'm going to get to Matthew 18, 15 through 17 in just a moment. That is in your, uh, that is on your handout. I'll get to that, I promise, in just a few moments. All right, I'm going to fill in some blanks for you. You ready for this? Ecclesiastical responsibility. It should be flipping your side of your handout, okay? Flipping to the back of your handout. 68 is the number. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view pornography on a regular basis. This is according to statistics by Barna and Covenant Eyes. You have to believe that Jesus knew what he spoke about in 527 through 28, that one day looking would be a problem. It's become a big problem, hasn't it? He said anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his own heart. Jesus said that long before the modern day of pornography. But I share those statistics to you to tell you that the problem, of course, that's the consequences of the problem. But the bigger problem for us as a church that I'm responsible for and you're responsible for comes in this next statistic. Only 7% of pastors say their church has a program to help people struggling with pornography. Only 7% of pastors say they have a program in their church to help people dealing with pornography. Here's what I want to get at here. This goes, this goes back to Matthew. Let's go ahead and do the Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Someone came up to me after church and talked to me a little bit about this text, and I thought they had a great question. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. We're talking about ecclesiastical responsibility with sin here. If your brother and, your brother and sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. They still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. We got into this text, I think, a couple weeks ago. And I think when we read this text, we get the idea that of like you going to someone's, I don't know, maybe this doesn't pop in your head, but you go into someone's house with your Bible in your hand, you know, and you've got this little strut that you're I'm going to tell them what they need to do. Like, that's what it's like. That that's, this is how you confront. You don't even go in their house. You just stand and declare the word of God. You know, Matthew 18, 15 says, you know, you have wronged me and you need to change. Do you really think that that's the most effective way to communicate to someone about a confrontational issue? How about we just learn to be real with each other? How about we learn to just have some grace and humility in the process? And see, I'm sharing this because this is the problem with this whole pornography thing. And you, don't, you, you may not like those statistics, but 
See, I've been around the church and I've been around pastors and I know that they're accurate. Because the scary thing is that we don't, it's happening so much that we don't know how to talk about it. See, we have this whole portion of the world that celebrates it. That celebrates it. Like, you should look at all the porn that you want to. This is great. This is the greatest thing since sliced bread that we have access to that. And you look at every television show. They'll celebrate it these days. But yet, what it's meant to become a Christian is now, you can do it. Just don't tell anybody. And we don't even know how to talk about these things anymore in a way that is redemptive. Because sometimes what happens when pastors begin to talk about it and they tell the wrong people in the church, well... If they're dealing with something, they quickly get, they get terminated before they have a chance to work through these things in their life. And so we often don't even know how to create a culture that can help others through things that they are struggling with. And again, this is what I'm saying. This is the biggest problem. So I, I just, just, to, just to tell you the truth, I'm actually working um, on, on some of my Wednesday nights now doing a training and with a group that does this very thing. I've been very fortunate to get connected with some people where the, the counseling group that I work with, we're actually doing a group for men. And you guys would be surprised about half the guys that have come in there are pastors. And see, the only difference is that Christians that, that, that Christians that care about these things in their life will want help with these things. They won't just keep them all bottled up inside and, and not pretend that they don't have a problem. They want help and they want to learn how to deal with these things. So So even if you're sitting in this room and thinking, how could it really be that bad? You've already put yourself on a spectrum that says, I can't deal with that because I don't understand. And church, what I'm trying to tell you with this whole series is that you have a responsibility to deal with sin in your life because that is the prerequisite that you need to help others deal with sin in their life. And I thought that one deserved an amen, so I'll go ahead and say it for myself. Amen. It is the prerequisite. We can't just point the finger and say they're wrong without realizing that there's a responsibility in our lives. The moment that we point and acknowledge sin in someone else's life, the moment it even comes off of our lips, it comes out of our mouth, we got to find a way to bring it back to here and say, God, thank you for your grace. Because maybe I don't deal with this, but man, sometimes I'm a mess. I dropped the ball. If everyone in this room knew all the stupid things I think about, the things that I've done, I would be so embarrassed. I would be so ashamed. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Church, that's what it means to be a Christ follower. Not just someone who points the finger and says, this is wrong and think your responsibility ends there. No, our responsibility is to keep growing as a man or a woman of the living God and to deal with these things in our life. And so we must learn to create an environment. And and, and as as, as I told you, Matthew 18, 15 through 17, it must be something that's relational. If someone has hurt you or wronged you, let's learn how to love them. Let's learn how to understand. Let's communicate with someone in a way that is redemptive. And there's there's your final blank. It says we have an ecclesiastical responsibility to engage the problem in a way that is redemptive. In a way that is redemptive. So I want to move on now to an individual responsibility. By the way, I, I didn't get to finish part of this. So look, if, if 
you're in here, you're listening to this on a podcast, you're watching this on Facebook, or you're here, of course, in this church, and, uh, you know, some of the things that I've said are important to you, I would love, I would love to help you. I would love to be someone that you can talk to. I would love to be someone that we can be transparent together, and we can take some real steps forward in what it means to, to be a man in our culture today. I know it's not just men that struggle with this. I know there's females as well. But, but oftentimes, many of these statistics fall under the category of men. By the way, it says that, it says that over, over 50 percent, I mean, excuse me, almost 60 percent of divorces in America today end because of typically the male having um, a, 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 a distracted and preoccupied um, addiction to pornography. That's how much of a problem this is. And so the church thinking it just calling it a problem is where our responsibility ends. That's where we miss it. We must be men and women of God that are willing to love people through these things and actually help them with what they're going through. And so that if that's you, you know, I would love to help you. I would love to, if it, if it leads to programs in our area and, and ways to help people through these experiences, sign me up. I'm in and I'm there for you. I would love to do that. And, and maybe even you're sitting here in this room and you think, of course, I'm not going to lift up my hand in a service like this. But, but I, just, I just don't know what someone would think about me if I was really honest. That's, that's what I'm telling you. That is the greatest enemy to growing in this thing. It's to begin to be honest of what you're going through and receive the help that you need. And that this very well may be the wake-up call that the Lord is speaking to you. That it's time to, to change and that this doesn't have to be in a way that is humiliating or embarrassing. It, there, there's an atmosphere where we can do this together as men and women of God. Now, moving on, individual responsibility in Galatians 6, 1 through 5. If you can put that text up there, Nick. Now we'll talk about individual responsibility. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person what? Restore that person what? Gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And I love this part. Here's the individual responsibility. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. I always hate that word pride in Scripture, but it says then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. The important thing is that we don't do the comparison game. They don't do the comparison game of how could they have that issue in their life and call themselves a Christian. No, what is God working on in you? This is what we should be dealing with. This is where individual responsibility comes in. Now, I heard a, a, a guy I went to school with preach a phenomenal message on uh, Zacchaeus this week. I was listening to a, to a sermon, and I love this idea that Zacchaeus presents to readiness. There's your next fill-in, by the way. Readiness. Luke 19, 1 through 9, the individual responsibility of readiness to be ready to deal with, with sin in your life. Wonderful story that comes out of Luke 19, 1 through 9 in Zacchaeus. You remember the story of Zacchaeus? I, I think they sung a song here or something. They called him a wee little man, right? Zacchaeus is this little guy, but he was the chief tax collector. And so all of the Jews hated Zacchaeus because he was one of them. And remember how, what you did if you were a tax collector, you were one of them. You went around to 
to all of the, everybody and collected the tax for the Romans. And the way you made your money is you added a little something on top of that. And so Zacchaeus did this, and he was really good at it. To become the chief, he had to manipulate his way to the top. And, and so Zacchaeus was able to do that. And you've got to believe that this guy was despised. But, man, what it says in this text, you know what it's like? I mean, Zacchaeus is just one of those guys. Why, why does he make that drive? You know, it says he was a small guy. You've got to believe that, that that whole idea of stature affected his head a little bit. And he had this idea of, I'm going to be, daggone it, you're going to respect me. I don't care if you love me, but daggone it, you're going to respect me. And that's the attitude that Zacchaeus had. And we see Zacchaeus, he's wearing all of the, the, you know, the nice clothes. He's, he's, he's dressed better than everyone else in town. And Jesus comes to town, and we see this guy, this despised guy with all of these clothes. Didn't just say he's sneaking up to a tree and hoping nobody sees him. He runs to this tree in, in full humility, and gets up in a position where he can see Jesus. See, here's this, this individual responsibility that I, want, I hope it, we, we get all of you to, to capture this morning. Zacchaeus understood something of Christ in that moment. If he believed Jesus was who he said that he was, He didn't peg Jesus to be like all the other Jews who hated him. He believed that maybe Christ would have something different. If he really was the Messiah, he would see through all these fronts that he put on and realize that there was something there that he needed. And so here's your blank that Zacchaeus realized. The Lord may be the only one that will love you at your lowest and darkest The Lord may be the only one that will love you at your lowest and your darkest. This love demands our return response of love toward God and toward others. See, we all, we do the opposite of this in life. We think if I can just get get up a couple more rungs in the ladder, if I could just get my house manicured a little bit better, if I could just make a little bit more money, if I could just get things a little bit organized, if I get my kids to play on this team, if I could get my family to work, people will really think that, that I got it all together and maybe I can get all the way up on this rung and people will really love and accept me for who I am, for who you are. You just based who you are on all those things that you just did and all those things that you just accomplished. The Lord's identity, he finds us at our darkest and lowest. He's the one that knows the things about us that were made public knowledge. Maybe not everyone would still accept us. Maybe not even our own families. If they really knew everything we think, everything we've thought about doing, everything we've done in the past. He loves us there at our lowest rung, at our darkest, most taboo rung. It's there that the loving God whispers in our ear and says, this is what I died for. He says, therefore, lift your eyes to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross so that no one would ever feel the most, the, the, the most humiliating way to die, to go through publicly and to be spit upon, to have all of culture label you and deem you a criminal, 
worthy of a brutal death that all of us can watch and all of us can celebrate. Jesus said no one is worthy of that. And he finds us in our deepest and our darkest moments. Someone needs to hear that today. There is nothing you could ever do to separate you from the love of God. He finds us there. We don't need the rungs. We don't need one more step up. We don't need one more step up to be accepted. We don't need to do this to be accepted. He finds us in our deepest and darkest place. And church, this is what we need to hear because we realize that this grace, this love that has been given to us is what we're called to distribute to others. To find others in their darkest and not reject them, but always find a way for redemption. Always find a way to work with them and build them and empower them and know the story is not over. And I know this can get complicated, especially if this person we're finding at their lowest and darkest has really hurt you and hasn't shown any sign of pattern of change. But he's in the business of repentance and he's in the business of change and his love for you doesn't change because of things you did or things that you thought about. His love finds you in your lowest and your darkest. So since we're talking about love, let's conclude on that text that the mom read when we began service this morning. I'm just going to point out just a few of these. It says love is patient. Love is what's next? Kind. A certain way that we treat people. A certain way that we talk about people when they're not in the room. It's not being fake. It's not, you know, not, you know, trying not to be honest. It's just simply doing it in a way that is re- redemptive with kindness. All of us can use a little bit more kindness. It says it does not envy. It does not boast. It does not what others? Dishonor them. Come on, not in the church. Let's don't strip somebody's honor away. Let's don't tear each other apart in the church. Let's don't tear each other apart even in in the world as well. We're always demeaning character. See, men and women of God actually ought to be people that learn how to build others up, not dishonor others. It says it is not self-seeking. There's your next blank. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I just let the scripture speak for itself. There's a lot we could say about that one. Oh, I got a list. Oh, you don't know what they did to me. Or you don't know how much they hurt me. And, and sorry, they're still in the doghouse. And we, at some point, we have, to, we have to learn how to bring an end to that. Love does not delight in evil. I, you know what? I got some time. I got to tell you this. I had an experience this, this week that I... I, I just kind of learned something that I, that I thought I would share that I thought would be very valuable to someone. Because I, c- c- I just sense the Lord even speaking to it right now. I believe there's some here that for whatever reason have not forgiven someone for something that happened to them however many, however many years ago. And, and I believe that even probably the reason you've never forgiven them it's because there's an expectation that, that of how this conversation would even go or, or if you felt like you needed to say something to them and you, maybe you feared that they weren't going to give you back what you were hoping for. 
And that whole experience can make things even turn out even worse than, than, than actually pursuing the forgiveness in the first place, telling them that you forgive them. What I want to tell you is that, that today, in this moment, part, perhaps what you need to get over more than anything is to experience that process yourself. Because you have placed your forgiveness upon someone else. You've allowed them to continue to have authority over your life because they won't give you what you want. You don't think that confrontation is going to go well. And they continue to have this thing with you because you've allowed it in your life. So we did this really simple exercise that I, I never realized how profound it was, where it's almost like you have two chairs sitting in front of you, and you put one person, put that person that you know you need to forgive. They're not going to sit there, but you are. And everything for all of your life, or however, however long it may be, you've been needing to hear from them. You can speak those things into your own life. And if you need, uh, you need someone else, the Lord would like to speak those things over your life and give those things to you, that void that has been there for a long time. It's time for you to not place your forgiveness upon someone else, but to go get it and quit keeping this record of wrongs and, and, and finally move on in your life. Because if we wait for someone else, it may never happen. And we can continue to walk around with that emptiness of forgiveness because we haven't taken a moment to do this for ourselves, and as we have been called to in Scripture. Now, finally, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the what? This is what this has been all about, this series, right? Truth. The truth. What is the truth of God's word? And this love demands our return, oh, excuse me, wrong one, and always protects each other, always trusts each other, always hopes, always perseveres, always protects in a way that is protecting them from embarrassment, protecting them from humiliation. Our ways are called to be ways that are redemptive with this attitude of love. Well, church, you know, I, I still have a couple ideas of where we may go next week, but we're coming to an end now, at least of the sexuality portion of this Cast Your First Sown series. And I sure hope this is giving you something to think about. That if we're going to talk about a sin and we're going to make this sin so important that, that maybe we're going to consider leaving a denomination. By the way, I, my agenda has not at all been to promote that we should do X, Y, or Z. It's been a reminder that if we're going to make this about sin, then we, we better illuminate other areas of sin in our own life and, and other areas of the church as well. We can't just make it all hinge upon one thing. If we're going to say the authority of Scripture is a big deal, which we should, let's allow the authority of Scripture to be a big deal and allow that to illuminate everything in our life and realize what we're supposed to be doing with the stone. And so... But I hope that this gives you something to wrestle with and all these weird, crazy things that are going on in our culture today with sexuality. We call sin what Scripture says it is. But we also know that our loving God responds with an attitude of grace, and that's grace that we receive, so if we receive it, we can distribute it. But we still have a responsibility as a church and individuals to uphold the authority of God, but then we must do this with an attitude 
of love, and that must be governing everything that we do. So again, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's regarding this series or regarding these, these things that are going on in our denomination. We're going to move on to some other things next week to, as we consider casting the first stone and not just make it about sexuality. But uh, as we've talked about some heavy things for the last two weeks, so you just take a moment and, and bow your heads and close your eyes as I pray for you before we conclude. Lord, in these moments with these texts, we must find ourselves right in the middle of this story. Not as one standing on the outside saying, come to me and pointing a finger. We must find ourselves right in the middle of the tension, right in the middle of a struggle. Because if these issues are, are continue to be as prevalent as they are in these culture, these are really pe- people that are confused, people that are lost, and but sadly, in most cases, people that are turning their backs on you and exchanging it for something else. And all across this room, if we're really honest, we know there's some truth that we've suppressed in our own life. We know there's patterns of our life that we continue in, even though we know that it's wrong and it's not going to lead to anything good. If we're really honest, we know that we've exchanged spiritual things for carnal things. We're human. We're human beings in need of a Savior. And Lord, we thank you that your presence is available to us in these moments. When we acknowledge these things, we can come back to you in grace. Just because this is what we do here in church, we let the voice of God speak to us. We do something physical to respond. I just want to encourage you, just simple question. If the Lord is speaking to you, ask that question in membership class this morning. How do you hear God's voice? If the Lord is speaking to you this moment, maybe through this message, through this soft, still voice, just lift up your hand. Nobody's looking around just to acknowledge, yes, Lord, I hear you. If that's you, just lift up your hand right now. Yes, Lord, I hear you. Yes, Lord, I hear you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for those here that are listening, that are hearing your voice and are ready to respond to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand this morning. I'm just going to be really transparent. I keep forgetting to write benedictions. I forgot to write one last week, and now I'm, so this one's off the fly again. I forgot to write my benediction. Would anyone like to share the benediction this morning? <laughs> well, as you go, may you go now recognizing the call you have as the church of Christ today to identify sin, to receive and distribute grace, to be a man of God who takes this responsibility as a Christ follower seriously, but one that takes it and approaches it with the love, the agape love that Christ has given us. And God bless you. Have a wonderful week.